0: Hello, this is Pastor Nathaniel, and you're listening to the Etta Talk for the Itty Walk Podcast. Here you'll find messages meant to edify and encourage God's people in the maturity, purity, and unity that comes from following Christ. This week, we have a special guest for the podcast, Abrianna Matthijs. She is currently a senior at Roberts Wesleyan College and a district-licensed minister. On the upstate new york district church the Nazarene, i hope you enjoyed hearing abriana preach from john chapter 15. Well, let's get right to
1: it everyone um, for those of you who don't know me my name is abriana um, i am currently a student at roberts wesleyan college studying religion and philosophy um, i think i know most of you um, but if you don't um, it's good to see you here this morning um, So I usually like to start with something a little bit funny. So I found this story online. Um, I don't know the original author of this story, um, but I thought I'd share it with you nonetheless. And kids going back to school, this one is kind of especially for you. A mother was concerned about her kindergarten son, Timmy, walking to school. He didn't want his mother to walk with him. After all, he was five years old. He could walk to school on his own. Now, the mother wanted to let him have that feeling of independence, but she also wanted to know that he was safe. So the neighbor learned about this mother's dilemma and offered to follow the young boy to school in the mornings. You know, she said she'd stay at a distance. She'd get her little girl up and they'd go for a walk, be good exercise. The mother would know the boy got to school safely. Seemed perfect. The mother was relieved by this offer and happily agreed. So the next school day, the neighbor got up like she promised with her little girl, followed Timmy and his friend to school. She did this for the whole week. As the boys walked to school, they would chat and kick stones and twigs like little boys do. And finally, Timmy noticed that the same lady was following him, but it didn't seem to bother him. His friend, however, turned to Timmy and said, have you noticed that lady? She's following us to school every single day this week do you know her Timmy replied nonchalantly yeah I know who she is his friend said well who is she why is she following us that's just Shirley Goodnest Timmy replied and her daughter Marcy Shirley Goodnest who is she and why is she following us well, Timmy explained, every night my mom makes me say the 23rd Psalm with my prayers because she worries about me so much. And in the Psalm, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So I guess I'll have to get used to it. <laughs> all right. So today I'm going to be preaching from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me as we read about the vine and the branches. And in this chapter, this is Jesus speaking before his passion. Um, So he is speaking directly to his group of disciples here, um, presumably on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather here today and spend time in your word. I pray that you would um, help me as I deliver the message, that you give me clarity of thought and of speech. And I pray for each soul listening this morning, whether it's in person or online, that you would use this time to speak to them in a special way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Anybody in here do gardening? Okay, a lot of you. So Thursday evening, I spent a whole bunch of hours in my garden pruning my cherry tomatoes. Let me tell you, that's not a very pleasant job. The branches of my plants had grown so much that it was hard to get around them to even harvest the tomatoes or water them. It was like this crazy green jungle gym that I had to kind of crawl under and step over. And, you know, it was nuts. So finally Thursday, I had enough. Watered my plants. I went through all the rigmarole. And I said, you know what? This has got to stop. I have to prune these branches or I'm going to go bonkers. So I went inside and got my pocket knife, put on my boots, and started pruning away for the health of my harvest so I could keep watering. That I wouldn't keep missing the tomatoes when they were ripe because there were a bunch that I couldn't see through the green branches that would just fall on the ground. And, you know, who wants to waste all those tomatoes? So, while i knelt in the dirt, I couldn't help but think to myself two things. One, what a messy, painful job pruning is. My knees were caked with dirt, my finger was bleeding, my boots had smushed tomatoes all over them, my back ached from being bent over that long. And when you get to pruning, does anybody else who gardens think that the job is never-ending? Like, you think, you know, four branches, you'll be good, and then... Four times ten, and then forty times ten, you know, and it just takes forever. And the only thing that kept me going was that knowing that someday I have this huge tray full of red cherry tomatoes that I could freeze, turn into salsa, put on salads. And, you know, I was super excited to have more of those. Now, the second thought I had was a little bit strange. And that thought was boy, I'm glad I'm not a tomato plant. Now, bear with me, I know it's strange, but it's how my brain works. And I even said to myself while I was under there, boy, am I glad I don't have to be pruned. And as I knelt there underneath the branches, I suddenly remembered that I was wrong. Dead wrong. I do need pruning, and a lot of it. Of course, I'm not talking about branches or cherry tomatoes, because the only ones that those I have are in my garden. Um, But what I was talking about was what's in my heart and what's in my head. And I watched my case knife lop off some of those branches, you know, the, the yellow ones, the fruitless ones, and sometimes it would cut just as smooth as butter. And while I was cutting, I wondered, what does a garden of my heart look like? And as I reflected, I thought of some things that, you know, maybe weren't necessarily evil but things that maybe weren't beneficial, things that might not be bearing fruit in my life, areas where if I devoted less time to that, I would be able to devote more time to the things that mattered and were really important, things that I could improve, distractions I could cut out. Um, and, you know, it, it was an interesting journey. So that's how I... Uh, kind of started my spiritual probing and my gardening at the same time. Um, And then as I continued gardening, I had another thought. And that thought was, how would I react if instead of me cutting those things out of my life just of my own free will, how would I react if God tried to cut them out of my life? You know, I am like a plant, but this plant has free will. And I was left to ponder what my attitude would be when the cutting away began. And I thought about this teaching of Jesus. Am I staying connected to the vine? Am I producing good fruit? Am I producing the amount of good fruit that I should be producing? Is there more I could do? And then I started thinking about the world, my community, this church, my family, myself, you... And I wondered, what sort of pruning have we been undergoing the last several weeks, the last several months, maybe even the last year? What's still to come? You know, the last several months have been totally unprecedented. I think it's safe to say that nobody anticipated a global pandemic. And I don't think that we anticipated when we heard of a new virus on the news that it would Keep us out of our churches and schools for months to a time. And that could potentially change how life resumes going forward. You know, none, none of us expected that. And on top of that, life doesn't stop for a pandemic. There's still assignments that have to be done. There's still loss. There's still trouble. There's still fear. All of the things that we had with us and the things that we had to experience were still coming. We just had to do it six feet apart with a mask, you know. And there's so many questions: What will education look like? What if there's a second wave? You know. And, and there's an amount of grief that comes with those questions and with what we've lost. Um, for me personally, a part of that grief is knowing that I'm not returning to Robert's campus on the fall. I'll be doing it online, and I'm super grateful for that, but. You know, it's, it's not the same as gathering with a whole bunch of friends and having coffee or late hours in the library or, you know, having clubs together. It's, it's not the same. Um, and, of course, we've all faced loss that's much greater than that, but there is a sense of grief even with some of the mundane things that we don't have anymore. You know, we can't just window shop anymore. You know, it has to be a little bit more intention trip to a store and, You know, I don't have to tell this to you. You guys are living it too. But as I pruned my tomato plants, I started to get a little bit of a different perspective. I started to shift my questions a little bit. And my thought was, what if God is pruning our world, pruning us, not to cut us down, but so that we'll bear more fruit? What if he's doing this out of love, and not judgment what if it's a combination of both and I know those are big questions Um, they're theological landmines potentially Um, and it's going to take a long time to discuss and I'm not going to delve into it too much um, because as it's been said there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation Um, (laughs) so I invite you though to keep those questions in your mind As we look at this passage this morning, um, because I am going to touch on them and they are important, um, and I want to leave you with those for some self reflection. Because I truly believe that God is doing a great work in us, and I don't want us to miss it. Because it's great work, it's hard work for the plants and for our gardener, but I think that the saddest thing that could come out of this pandemic would be for God's church to have had God's hand right in front of them and for us to miss it all together. So I really want us to pay attention to what God is doing in this season and not become too distracted to see what he's doing. Now, if you've ever dabbled in gardening, you know that pruning is hard work for everyone and everything, right? I mean, the cut branches leak water, and we can assume that if they had nerves, it would be painful. Um, it is hard for the gardener to I already told you what I went through And it was not fun On top of that I got pricked by squash vines And y- you know You get the idea Not to mention it felt a little strange to me To cut off the branches of plants That I've been tending since June You know it kind of seems like an oxymoron Like you tend this plant And then you just start Chopping branches But I had to do some messy work to get to the harvest. That's just how gardening works. Now, God had to do some messy work to get a harvest, too. He had to do some messy work to get us into the condition to bear spiritual fruit. You know, my bleeding finger was a small price to pay for all the tomatoes I would get, but the nails driven into the bleeding hands of God's son was a massive price for us. In my garden, my tomato plants looked better with every cut I took. Me, I looked worse. I had more sweat, more blood, more dirt, more smooshed tomatoes. And by the time I was done, I was a sight. But that's what God did for us, isn't it? At the cross, he made us clean because he took all of our dirt, all of our sin, all of our mess when we believe in God and accept Him as our Lord and Savior, He cleans out that massive that those branches that are killing us. And that's what Jesus was talking about when He told the disciples that they were already clean because of the word He had spoken to them in this chapter. In fact, the word that He used according to the Blue Letter Bible was translated in the Greek as katharos. Now, in this passage, katharos means to have been pruned and cleansed by that pruning process. So literally, it means that that plant would then be fitted to bear fruit. So in other words, he's saying that we are all fitted to bear fruit now because of the pruning that the gardener has done. And those fruits are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and faithfulness. But the text makes clear that the pruning doesn't stop with salvation. It keeps going. Because the next step is sanctification, which is growing in holiness, basically. So take a look at verse 2. But every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This verse has two promises in it. And these two points are what I want to focus the message on today. So if you're taking notes today, um, this will be what you want to write down. If you forget everything else that I say during the sermon, please remember this. And here are the two points. If you are being pruned, you have potential, and your pain has a purpose. I'll start with the first one. If you are being pruned, God knows that you have tremendous potential. No one prunes a plant that doesn't have potential to bear anything. Right? It, it just wouldn't make sense. It would be a waste of time. It'd be a waste of energy. It, it would be a waste of rigmarole to do to the plant. You know, for example, I had a squash plant die off before I went on vacation. I thought, okay, well, I'll leave it. You know, there's a little bit of green, so I'll let it get the rain. I'll let it be watered and see if anything would come back. Well, I came back and went out in the yard, brown. Just this huge heap of brown. So what did I do? I dug it up, threw it away, turned the dirt over, and that was that. Didn't think much of it. Now wouldn't have been ridiculous if I went out there with my knife and started chopping away the brown leaves, took it down to the dead root, and said, okay, I'll wait now. Doesn't work. You know, and the thought didn't even cross my mind maybe I should prune this squash plant because it had zero potential. It'd seen its better days, it had had plenty of squash, and, you know, now it's following the natural course of things. So the implication then from this verse is that a branch that's connected to the vine will be pruned, not necessarily because they're doing a bad job growing fruit, but because it has the potential for more. And at first glance, that seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? I mean, why would anyone lop off green branches of anything, right? Even if they're not bearing fruit, at least they're green. You know, there was a time when I would be happy if one of my plants managed to stay green for more than a couple days. You know, So why would you cut it off in an attempt to get more? And I'm not a botanist in any means. As I've said, this is kind of my first dabbling in vegetable gardening, so I'm not even that well-versed on that. Um, But I do know one thing, and that's that pruning is necessary and that if you want to have a healthier plant, sometimes you have to trim a healthy plant. Now, apple trees are a notable example. If someone wanted to have more apples, what they would do is they would cut off some branches, and the tree would redirect its growth and its energy. And when that redirection happens, then it would simulate new growth. And that new growth would lead to more apples. Now, let's step back and look at our own lives. When God tries to prune certain things in our lives, what do we say? When we look at our own lives, do we kind of hold the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? I'll give you an example from my own life. If you know me, I am very type A. Very, very much so. And as a general rule, my planner is pristine. I like checklists, and I like working ahead on things. Not only that, but I love learning, and I typically have my head in a book, Or I'm doing research um, and I'm busy with multiple things at once. I like being busy. I like having everything laid out in front of me. I'm a planner. That's, you know, who I am. It's what I do. If one of you had time traveled and told me last year, you couldn't tell me anything about the pandemic, but you would give me a warning and say, hey, you know, you should learn to go with the flow a little bit more. It would be really helpful in the coming months I, I would have laughed just saying I mean I would have freaked out that you somehow found a time machine but I also would have laughed um, because being strictly type A and being busy those were green branches to me they were perfectly fine I saw no reason to trim them back or to get them under control it was just who I am and in fact not only is it my default it's necessary because I'm an honor student So I had to plan ahead and have things together and everything. So I I would have never thought of pruning those branches. But then the pandemic did come. My schedule was in flux. I found myself taking a giant pearl eraser to my pristine planner, wiping out most of the pages except for the assignments that had to be due online, and then I had to rewrite those. And then when you have assignments during the first part of a pandemic it's okay right because you got your head in the book you're writing papers anyhow but let me tell you what when the semester ended i was left with sort of a busyness hangover for lack of a better term because all of a sudden everything was done and i was literally just sitting there in silence with nothing to do like now what what all my typical summer activities are, are gone. It's snowing. <laughs> Remember that snowstorm in May? Fun. but I wonder what on earth am I going to do and I got kind of depressed you know for the first week trying to figure it out because you know it, it was rough and it did get better and I'll tell you what I learned a lot from it. You know I'm still type A, but I am way less strict on myself. It's getting much easier for me to kind of just go with the flow and take things one day at a time instead of three months in advance. Um, it's getting easier for me to enjoy doing other projects just as much as I enjoy my schoolwork, um, which, which is a lot when you know what a bookworm I am. So for me to find other things I enjoy just as much, that's quite the feat. Um, and looking back, my life before, it, it wasn't that it was bad or that my lifestyle was bad. It was successful, you know, for the most part anyway. I mean, I'm here, I'm alive, doing well, I think. So, you know, it worked. But this new way of life is more holistic. And I think I'm a happier person now. You know, I feel a little bit less stress from that. So that's just an example. It's a very minor example of, you know, pruning something in our lives that may be a good thing in and of itself, but could get better. And you might find yourself in a similar situation. Your life might seem perfectly fine, great even, but somewhere in your heart you feel God nudging you to change something. In fact, in this season, I think sometimes God's nudging might feel a little bit more like shoving. And is pruning easy? No. No, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's difficult. Um, and I think that in this pandemic, it's making us all take a step back and reevaluate the fruit that we're bearing and the cost at what we're bearing it. Solomon offers a word of advice for moments like these when we feel God nudging and highlighting things in us that we need to work on. Proverbs 3:11 through 12, he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. In other words, God is changing you and he's correcting you because he loves you. Not because he has a bone to pick, not because he's cranky or bored. He's doing it because he loves you. Job, the book of Job, there's similar advice. It takes a little further and says, Blessed is the one who God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Jesus says in Revelation 3.19, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. The author of Hebrews levels it up even a little bit more and puts it this way. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and aren't really his children at all. Wow. Talk about being blunt, right? And these verses aren't to say that you should anticipate God to discipline you 24-7. You know, that's not his character. Right? And I don't think any of us would take very kindly to constant prodding and rebuke from anybody. Right? Maybe you've experienced that with people, that they seem like all that they can say about you is something negative all the time. That's not who God is. And these verses aren't telling us to expect that sort of treatment. But what it is assuring us is that God can, and he periodically will, prune us. And that that's a good thing when it happens. It's not a bad thing. It's an uncomfortable thing, but it's a good thing. Pruning is a present an uncomfortable present that takes a lot of work to open. But it is a present. And the pain has a purpose. Jesus says so in John 15:8. He said that it is to God's glory that we bear much fruit. So not only is it necessary for us to remain in him, doing so brings him glory. And when we're in that position, when we're connected to him, he's given us his invitation to ask for whatever we wish. It doesn't diminish his supply. It doesn't trouble him. It doesn't annoy him. Bold requests honor him. Now, I have to put a little bit of a disclaimer in there, right? And that is that whatever you wish has to be in accordance with God's will. Because let's just say if it didn't, there would be a lot of us driving Lamborghinis this morning. Right, and I, I don't think I mean God can do whatever he wants but I think the odds are probably good that if you spend the rest of this morning just begging God for a Corvette and a mansion with a massive swimming pool I can almost guarantee that's not going to be waiting for you at lunchtime. Um, so you know you can pray but just also know that it has to be in accordance with God's will and don't get frustrated if you don't have a brand new set of car keys in your mailbox when you get home um And I do know, though, that when God listens to our prayers, he loves to hear the prayers, and he answers in a way that will benefit us and bring him glory, showing us to be his disciples. Will we understand the answer all the time? No. But we do know his intentions. So when we remain in Jesus, the expectation is that we'll bear true fruit in accordance with our faith. Not so that everyone who walks by us will say, Wow, look at them! Like, super-Christian. Man, they're cool. I want them to come over for the barbecue. I want them to teach the Bible study. Right? No, that's, that's the wrong reason. The goal isn't to gain praise for ourselves. It's to direct glory to God. We want them to see us and praise God for who he is and all that he's done for us. And at first glance, that fact may seem like a matter of theological semantics. Right? I mean, isn't our goal just to bear fruit? So who cares how we do it or how much? Wrong. Because our main goal is to stay connected to the vine. To remain in Jesus. That's our number one priority. And if we do that, then the fruit will come. And it will keep coming. That's just the natural outcome of that connection. However, unless your heart is changed, all the good works you could ever do, Would just be a nice picket fence around a dying plant. Because you could quit your job tomorrow and become a missionary, dedicate every waking hour to the Red Cross, put a massive check into the Salvation Army bucket. But unless your heart's changed, that's not sanctification, that's a pretty resume. And heaven isn't a job interview, it's a home. So your goal is not to have the best-looking resume to get in. Your goal is to bear a resemblance to the Father and to have a relationship with Him. Unless you remain in Jesus, you won't bear fruit, only fluff. And I'll take you back to my garden for another example. One of my other squash vines, when I was cutting my tomatoes, I noticed that there was this piece of it that kind of extended out from the plant. But that's really weird. I've never seen a section of the plant grow that far out before, so I walked a little closer to it, put my hands under it, you know, just to gently lift it so I could see what section of the plant it was coming from, maybe scoot it over. And then I realized that the vine had somehow, probably my retriever puppy, become disconnected from the main plant. So it was just a branch laying there, but the way it had been hidden under the leaves made it look like it was connected. So it lifted that whole vine up. It was kind of sad. I mean, it had some little squash starting to form on it, but I threw them away. Why? Because my goal wasn't to get a couple fancy decorative squash. And I knew that at the end of the day, unless that squash stayed in the plant, it was just going to rot. And if I tried to eat it, it would taste disgusting. And I knew that that wasn't the goal my goal was to have all of my vines in one plant and to have substantial fruit that you know i guess you could say would bring me glory in a sense that it would be something wonderful that i could eat something that i could give you know something more beautiful than a, a rotting squash that's about that big so i threw that plan out and if we look at our lives Good works are not salvific. Good works are a splendid symptom of sanctification. So as you can see, there's a significant difference between doing good works to glorify ourselves or to satisfy a cultural expectation and doing good works as a natural progression of holiness. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you catch that? Jesus clearly outlines the purpose of our shining light and our good deeds. It's to glorify the Father. The pruning and the refining process brings him glory. Listen to Isaiah 48, verses 6 through 11 in the message translation. You have all of this evidence confirmed by your own eyes and ears. Shouldn't you be talking about it? And that was just the beginning. I have a lot more to tell you. Things you never knew existed. This isn't a variation on the same old thing. This is new, brand new, something you'd never guess or dream of. When you hear this, you won't be able to say, I knew that all along. You've never been good listeners to me. You have a history of ignoring me, a sorry track record of fickle attachment, rebels from the womb. But out of the sheer goodness of my heart, because of who I am, I keep a tight rein on my anger and hold my temper. I don't wash my hands of you. Do you see what I've done? I've refined you, but not without fire. I've tested you like silver in the furnace of affliction out of myself simply because of who I am. I do what I do. I have my reputation to keep up. I'm not playing second fiddle to other gods or people. You see, when it comes to pruning, God has specific goals in mind. Glory for him, and great plans for you. You know, and it, when we read that passage, don't get the idea either that, you know, God's just being super selfish here, or e- egotistical. In fact, we find a lot of hope in that. Because that means that God, in some sense, is, when you take his name, he's kind of staking his reputation on you, to a degree, right? And so is God going to allow anything that happens in your life? Anything that could happen to you? Is he ever going to let anything in your life, you know, even if you doubt his love and his incredible compassion for you? Even if you can't see them, you can at least look at it and say it doesn't make sense that God would do anything that wouldn't bring glory to his name or that might make him look bad. Right? So we can take hope in that, that there is a promise that God loves us so incredibly much and that he, even for his own sake. In other words, he's got a lot of skin in the game, folks. He also has great plans for us. When he prunes us, he doesn't aimlessly lop off branches or nudge us out of our comfort zones. He has a well-thought-out, well-intentioned plan for his work. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That is his promise. You have a guarantee straight from God's mouth that the plans he has for you are good. Pruning and all. And he even put that promise in writing. And as I stand before you today, I confess that I don't know the details of that plan. I can't tell you what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow. I can't tell you what he's doing in me. I can't tell you what he's doing in you. I can't tell you what he's doing in this church or in this world. I don't know. I'm not God. I don't have the details. But I do know one thing. I know that the plans are good. And that they're for hope. I know the God who made the plans, and I know that he's good, and I know that he is love. I also know that he's not giving up on us anytime soon. I know that there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. I know that there's a day when there's going to be no such thing as disease or tears, and it's going to sound like something way out of the past. I know there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back again and we'll be fully transformed into his image. I know there's a day when we'll rise and have an imperishable body. I know there's a day coming when we'll live with him forever, when there's going to be no partisan politics, no chaos, no crime, no injustice. I know that day is coming. And boy, do I look forward to that day. You know, I've, I've never seen it myself. I can only picture it and imagine it, but my soul yearns for it like it's my home. You know, and 20 years is, you know, it's a relatively short time to be on this earth compared to most of you, but I'm already learning that it's a rough journey here on earth. And I long for that day when we'll all finally be home. I know that in the meantime when God comes toward us with gardening gloves on that I want to be able to have the courage to stand still and let him prune away whatever he has to do and my prayer is that all of you feel that same way and that you have an even stronger resolve than I do because I want us to be in the position where we can accept whatever God has to do to make us more like him and to prepare us to see his face on that day that will be coming very, very soon. And so circling back to the questions that I posed at the beginning of my message, I propose that this passage of Scripture gives us hope and something to look for during our current time. When it feels like everything is being cut away, I mean everything, going to the grocery store for crying out loud, when it's falling all around us, when it's falling inside of us, Look carefully for God's hand. Look beyond the hedge trimmers and see who's behind it. You know, and, and that's not to say that I think that all of this is from God. Again, those are massive theological questions that we can sit down and talk about over coffee. Um, but it's important to identify that God is still working. So ask some different questions. How is He refining you? Your workplace. Your school, your community. How's he refining his church, our country, our world? Paul said that God works all things together for the good of those that love him. That's not to say that all we're experiencing is good. I would even think I was crazy if I said that all of this was good. Things are difficult. But it seems to me like the media feeds off of that difficulty. Because all we have to do, right, pick up a cell phone, turn on the TV, voila, there's a pandemic, there's fear, there's messy, messy politics, there's crime, there's chaos. You know, and I'm not saying either that the church should be ostriches and stick our head in the sand because that's a horrible, horrible, horrible idea. Don't do that. But I also know that when we're being fed a steady diet of all the chaos happening in our world right now, it can blur our vision. Our fears do have to be addressed. They have to be acknowledged. They have to be planned for. You know, We have to be careful. But we can't take our eyes off of the character of God. And if we're consuming this stuff to a point where we're forgetting God's character, it might be time to hit the brakes a little bit and shift our perspective. Because pain and blessings can coexist. And that is exactly what is happening in our world right now. Think about it this way. You know, a mother in labor, there's pain. There's a lot of pain. But there's this incredible blessing of this new child coming into the world, right? So it's possible for both to coexist. We see it all the time. And in our world, I don't think we've ever had a more stark example of the pain and the blessing that there can be. And I don't claim to understand everything that's happening in our world. I've told you that. You know, I'm pretty transparent. I can make my best guesses just like any of us, but I, I can't outline for you and say, oh, yes, here we go, here's my flow chart. I, I can't do that. I wish I could, but I can't. But I do know that God's still on the throne. And he hasn't stopped working. I also believe that we can acknowledge our difficulties and take joy in God's blessings at the same time. I believe that in spite of everything, we have so much to be grateful for. You know, I dare you to take out a piece of paper when you get home. Write down all the blessings you can think of. And I can guarantee that if you have enough patience, you'll fill both sides of the page in an entire ream of paper, and you might even go to the store to buy more. We still have a lot of... Of blessings. So what is God bringing that's good out of this situation? Maybe he's redirecting us to gratitude. You know, I've never appreciated the ability to walk into the store and just walk around as much as I have the last couple months. I've never appreciated good coffee from Dunkin' Donuts as much as I have when I haven't had it for a couple months. What if God's stoking our creativity when it comes to evangelism? What if God is pricking the consciences of many and urging them to repent? What if he's teaching us to be still and know that he's God? There's so many endless possibilities, but this is our time to be quiet and hear God's voice. This is our time to stop and look at the blessings. This is our time to rise up and follow our Savior. It's our time to listen and be pruned. And please don't despise the pruning. It means you have potential. Because if you didn't have any pruning to go through, that's when you should be concerned. You know, when you're not feeling the Holy Spirit working on sanctification in you anymore, that's what would frighten me. And again, it doesn't mean that it needs to be constant. There's probably going to be long stretches of time where you might not. Feel any pruning. But when you do, remember that that is an incredible, incredible blessing. I want to close with a quote from Lisa Harper that was written in her study guide for the Gospel of Mark called The Jesus We're Aching For. She says God's plow will likely leave a deep gash in our personal landscape, but it will also tender us toward His Spirit and help loosen our love for Him and faith in Jesus Christ and our love for others that we may not have even realized we were withholding. If you've put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, the seed of the gospel will absolutely result in good fruit growing in your life. However, the size of our fruit depends on the softness of the soil. So how about it? How tilled up would you say your soil is now? Let's pray. right, thank you so much for your word thank you that you ensured that these were written down so that we could study them, that we could learn from them today. I pray that you would quicken us to hear your voice. Pray that you would open our eyes to see all that you're doing in the world around us. I pray that through this season that you would prune us, your church. That you would show us how to bear even more fruit how to bring you even more glory. And I thank you that you're willing to do that. Thank you that you were willing to go to the cross for us, that you are more than willing to step into our lives and to create us into who you made us to be. So Father, I pray that you would help us as we leave today and as we continue through this pandemic. We don't know what's going to happen next, but we do know that you are on the throne and you're not surrendering it. And so we thank you for your glory and for the promise that you are there and that in this world of crazy uncertainty that you are certain. we now and forever before time began and long after it passes away. So Lord, I thank you again. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast is helpful to you, please rate us on iTunes or like our page, Springwater Church of the Nazarene, on Facebook. Have a great day and Lord bless.